uh, it's, it's rather interesting to think about uh, Patrick was, uh, he was not a Catholic. Uh, he was actually a, we would call him a Protestant. Uh, he had some quirky ideas about some things and God talking to him and stuff, but they did. But Patrick has been attributed to saving Ireland during the Dark Ages because he came in and, and, and made literacy and reading and understanding a key component of, of what he did, and which is what a Protestants do. Catholics keep everybody under the thumb. Protestant uh, in, in, in civilization and the advancement of civilization is done by a Protestant push, and uh, we call it the Puritan work ethic, that kind of idea, where the Catholics were not that way. They were, you, heed, you give heed to the motherland and the mother church and you let them do, the Protestants come in and say, no, you stand on your own two feet, you do it, you figure it out, you work it. And the and that's what really what Patrick did. They say he chased all the snakes out of Ireland. That's no, he did not. There were no snakes in Ireland to begin with. The historical evidence is that he didn't. Uh, and so forth, stuff like that, it, it, you just kind of have to read through the, the, the Blarney Okay, all right, Romans 10, let's get started here this morning, and uh, maybe all that won't be on the, on the video, but because uh, then, and, and it is what it is. You can Google that stuff, and you can read Wikipedia and all that, and hash down through it if you'd like to waste your time, I mean, if you'd like to do that. All right, uh, chapter 10 here, we're down to verse 14 now, and uh, in an effort to move on, and not to dwell in the, in, the, in the mire of verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. We're going to actually move on and hopefully finish the chapter this morning. And after that little extended, long-windedness there, uh, maybe we'll, we'll run just a little bit. So as you know by now, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are dispensational in nature. As Paul begins to provide an explanation as to what in the world is going on with Israel now in the dispensation of grace. And Paul is writing to the church, the body of Christ. He's writing to the saints at Rome, okay? So he's explaining to... Look over with me to Ephesians 2, just so you catch this. Because... Again, the, you know, we had the question I mentioned to you last week about why is Paul talking to the Jews and writing to the Gentiles and what's going on? Well, you have to remember Ephesians 2. If you look there at verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So we have, we're in the but now. For he is our peace who hath made both one. Both, what's the both? Well, the Jew and the Gentile, the circumcision, the uncircumcision up there in verse 11 and 12. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. What's the middle wall? That issue of circumcision. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, so twain, both Jew and the Gentile, what? One new man, so making peace and that he might reconcile both. Again, who? The Jew and the Gentile. Unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and so forth. So the reason that Paul uses chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Romans 
is really to, to, talk, to be Jewish, if you will, in nature. We said that in chapter 10. It's, he's, it's all Jewish. It, chapter 10 is not a formula for Gentile salvation. Rather, it's a completely opposite. It's here's the condition of Israel today in the age of grace, in the but now. And Paul uses his Acts ministry to demonstrate that, that Israel no longer holds that favored nation status with God. Israel no longer has that special status, that, that place with God as his people. They have fallen. They are accursed. That's their condition. So he puts it in Romans so that that becomes a foundational component in your inner man, in your foundation of sound doctrine. If it's not, you can easily be talked into saying that you are spiritual Israel. When you are not, you're a new man, you're a new creature, you're something new. Why? Well, because Israel has been deemed accursed. So in writing that and putting that in here, again, he didn't put it at the end of the book of Galatians. He doesn't put it at the end of Philemon as a footnote. This is three prominent chapters. I mean, think about this. In chapter 9, there are 33 verses. Chapter 10, there's 21 verses. Chapter 11, there's 36. He's spending time here so that when he gets into chapter 12, and he's going to talk about now go out and live as who you are in Christ, that you don't go out and live thinking you are Israel, because you are not. You're, he's he's Set Israel has no special status in the eyes of God today. Paul uses his Acts ministry to demonstrate that in Israel's reaction to his ministry. What has Israel's reaction been to the, to the ministry of John the Baptist? They killed him. What was the reaction to the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? They killed him. What was their reaction to the Acts ministry of the little flock? They killed him. What's, Paul, what's the reaction now to Paul? They're trying to kill him, and they do get him eventually. So, the reaction, so what Paul is demonstrating in chapters 9, 10, and 11 is, hey, Israel's status is they are just one of the nations out there. They are sinners. They're nothing special any longer. They've lost it. And what they need to do is, is trust the same gospel that you and I trust, Gentiles trust, Paul's gospel. That's what they need. Now, I know what happens. Well, what about the little flock? What about them? They're the circumcision. They are the Israel of God. But what did God do? He changed the program, so what about these folks? They become those poor saints in Jerusalem, don't they? They eventually die off. I mean, what happens is, is we say, yeah, but what about, because we're coming into chapter 11 and that wonderful word grafted. Oh, well, we're grafted in. Baloney. Wait till we get over there. I'll blow your doors off, give you that little again, because people read stuff into that that isn't the case at all. So he's setting the scene here. In chapter 9, what has he dealt with? Israel's past. Here's their problem. You know what their problem was? They didn't believe the Old Testament prophets, and guess what? They, they, were, they stumbled, and then they fall. 
How did they, why did they fall? Unbelief. They didn't believe the testimony of the Word of God. Whether it came through the prophets, John the Baptist, the earthly ministry of Christ, or the 12 apostles and the little flock. They didn't believe it. Then you come to chapter 10, and what are we doing in 10? Well, chapter, now we're going to talk about today, now, in the age of grace, in the dispensation of grace. So the first 13 verses, Paul's demonstrating that God has given them ample information. He did provide for them everything they needed to know and to understand to clearly identify the Messiah and who he was. What was their problem? They didn't believe it. They rejected it. They're going to reject the disciples. They're going to reject. We'll see that in just a minute. Now in 14 to 21, the end of the rest of the chapter here, he's going to demonstrate that not only did Israel have all of the information they need, but they had every ample opportunity to believe it, and yet they still rejected the messengers now. They have the message. That's clearly demonstrated. Now they're going to reject the messenger. They have the revelation, the information needed to identify who the Messiah is going to be, and yet they, what? Rejected it. So in chapter 10, kind of two parts. One, God has provided all the information. That's why in verse 8, what does he say? But what saith it? And he quotes Deuteronomy 30. We went there. We looked at it. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. See, the word of faith has always been there. They just didn't believe it. By the way, when he says, we, we're, the, uh, the end of verse 8 there, which we preach, what was Paul preaching? To them in, the, in his Acts ministry. He's preaching that Jesus Christ is the very Christ. That's what he's preaching to them. Now think about what he's doing. He goes in and he reasons out of the scriptures with them. What scriptures? The only ones he had was the Old Testament in the synagogue. So he goes into these prophets and he demonstrates that Jesus Christ is the only one who could have met every qualification of the Messiah. He met him, you killed him, and now he's changed the program. And because you killed him in your unbelief, he's changed the program and now he's doing this. And guess what? You get a renewed opportunity to be justified just under the new program. And he lays all that out. God has provided all the information. And the number two, Israel has been given ample opportunity to believe. They actually have been given three bites at the apple, if you will. <laughs> okay? They really have. If not a fourth one under Paul. They had the prophets. They had the earthly ministry of Christ. And they had the Acts ministry. And now they have Paul. And they've rejected, rejected, rejected. They've killed, 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 killed. So now you come to verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Question. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Question. How shall they hear without a preacher? Question. And how shall they preach except they be sent? 
question. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Notice the questions. Now, these are not questions uh, to, to gain and information. These are questions of objection, of, of, of going, standing against what Paul's doing here. In, again, as Paul talks to both the Jew and the Gentile in his Acts ministry, the Jews now begin to object to that. As Paul goes in and says, listen, Deuteronomy 30 says you had the word. Deuteronomy 11 says you're to write that word all over the place. It's to be before you night and day, all the time, 24-7. You had it. You just rejected it. As they, they say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they call how shall they believe on him in whom they have not what? Heard. How can they hear without a pre hey, wait a minute? And they're now they're objecting to Paul. They begin to say, hey, wait a minute here. And again, these are not the circumcision believers. I'm gonna say that till you guys get that. No, I'm coming. Because a bunch of tomfoolery says, uh, this is, no, these are the unbelieving Jews in the synagogue that are withstanding Paul. The lewd men of the baser sorts. The guys out there trying to get, get the government to get Paul. This wasn't the circumcision believers. They're over hunkered down doing their finishing up and doing. So as Paul goes into the, the unbelieving Jew in that synagogue and he begins to provoke them, Romans 11, 11. And he's demonstrating that Jesus Christ was the very Christ and he's affirming the resurrection. That's why the end there about, in verse nine there about raised from the dead, that issue there, He's affirming the resurrection. This is demonstrating that Christ is the only individual that could ever match the given evidence of the identity of the Messiah. He's the one. And yet their rejection is one of, I mean, their reaction is one of rejection. That's the issue of unbelief. So now he asks, these questions come up. Paul's a great anticipator of questions. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Why? Because what did five, chapter 5 end with? Where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. I mean, you know, so should we do that? Why? Because human nature is to do what? Question. So the questions here are really, look at verse 21, 1021. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands to a disobedient and what? Gainsaying people. The questions here are the questions of a gainsaying people. They're questions that are coming from a disobedient and gainsaying. So he's dealing with the gainsayers. Now, the gainsaying is that issue of, 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 uh, of arguing, constantly debating. There's an element of the Jews that are constantly arguing. Their arguments are for the simple purpose of getting themselves off the hook. What do you mean we had ample information? Look, look back up there at verse uh, 6. 
But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? Now that's Deuteronomy 30, verse 12. We looked at this. Now watch Paul's parenthesis. Okay, the parenthesis is not in Deuteronomy 30. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. You see, what Derek's going to say, he says, no, the word's nigh to you. Deuteronomy 30, 12 to, 13, to 14 there. You have the word. You can't say, we need to send somebody to go get it and bring it back to us. You already got it. See? So the questions that are asked here are questions designed to excuse the Jew from having any responsibility of, on their rejection of the Messiah. You follow that? Did I say that clearly enough? You see, they're, you know what they're doing? They're doing what everybody in this room does when they get caught. Shift the blame. They've been doing it since Genesis 3. That's why I said everybody in the room, me included. Well, it, I, you know what, officer? I didn't know it was 55 and you're sitting by a 55 speed limit sign, right? I didn't know it was 60. I thought it was 85. That's what I told the, police, the highway patrolman in California. You know, you go over the border, and you don't pay attention to it. It goes from 75 to 70, and then it goes to 55 on any vehicle towing a trailer. And I was towing a trailer, and I was doing 70. And brrr, I'm like, what in the world? What's going And I didn't read that little sign that says 50. All vehicles towing 55. And I said, I'm on, I said, honestly, I didn't read that. I figured that was for the big rigs. He goes, no, that's all vehicles, sir. I said, yes, sir, you're right. And he said, have a nice day. And I'm like, you sure? He goes, yeah, go have a nice day. You know, I got three kids screaming in the back, Daddy's in trouble. They're going to take him, you know. So, <laughs> and he could have because it was 20. I was 20. I was good over. I was over the limit. <laughs> but anyway, they're trying to excuse themselves. That's what they're doing. So Paul's dealing with the gainsayer here. He's dealing with that element of the Jews that are arguing. And they're only arguing for the purpose of getting themselves off the hook. And I'll be honest with you. At the great white throne judgment, when you see these people come in, you're going to see them use these questions and these excuses to excuse themselves from the coming judgment that's coming their way. We didn't know. If God would have only sent, what did the rich man say to Abraham? Send someone from the dead, they'll believe him. And you know what Abraham said? Nope. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them read. Let them believe that. You see that? They have it. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's dealing with those who are arguing. They just want to get off of the hook. So what are they saying? God could have, he should have, done a better job of communicating with us. That's what they're saying, verse 14 and 15. God, where, he could have, he should have, He's, nobody told me this. We needed someone to return with the information and to give it directly to us. And you know what Paul says? 
he did that. You have it. And you have it in verse 15 because he says what? As it is written. And he's gonna, we're going to go back over now to Isaiah 52 where he's going to quote. And Paul is going to strategically use Isaiah here just as he did Deuteronomy. And he's going to strategically go in now and he's going to begin to deal with the gainsayer. They are challenging Paul in order to get off the hot seat. He's got them on the hot seat. Your unbelief, you had the word. It's clearly been given to you, and you rejected it, so you're guilty. And what you're guilty of is unbelief. So, from <laughs> I think about the Jewish perspective. They didn't believe that they were sinners. I hope you understand that. Galatians 3, Paul, or Galatians 2, Paul says that we're not sinners by nature as the Gentiles are. They had a different perspective of that. They didn't think that they were guilty here. They didn't think they were operating in unbelief because they have the synagogue system and they have all that. They think they're golden. And yet, what have we learned? They had the word and yet they still are in unbelief. Verse 17 there, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We use that in a positive nature in the context here that's very negative. They had the word. They didn't believe the word. So guess what they didn't have? They didn't have faith. They were in unbelief. So the questions in verse 14 and they're in 15 are questions of the typical sinner. Shift the blame. He didn't send anyone to tell us. He didn't give us the information. So how can he hold us accountable? Now, what you see there is how desperate they are, how guilt-driven they are, because they know they've what? They know they're sinners. But their pride, their arrogance says, no, I'm not. So it's not my fault. It's God's fault. So Paul's going to deal with them here. He's going to shine the spotlight on Israel's unbelief. And you know what? They don't like it. And he's going to remind Israel by using the Old Testament. Come back with me to Isaiah 52. Let's see this. He's going to use their, the Old Testament to remind Israel that, yes, God did give you the information, and yes, God did send someone, get Isaiah 52, and then get, go back, stick something in it and go back to Romans 10. And that God did send people to give you the information. And he's going to use their history to do it. Now, he quotes Isaiah 52, 7. So Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him that publish good tidings, that publish peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, and publish salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Now, in 1015, notice how Paul and what Paul does with it. Okay? Because what happens is, is the critics and the people that want to make you into spiritual Israel say that when Paul says, Romans 1015, he says, he is saying that the 
Isaiah 52, 7 verse is being fulfilled in Romans 10, 15. That is not what Paul's saying. Because Isaiah 52, 7 is a prophetic application about the Lord Jesus Christ reigning in the millennial kingdom. So they say, see, look, Israel, millennial kingdom is it's fulfilled right there in Romans 10. So guess what you and I are doing? We're spiritual Israel, we're bringing in the kingdom, and we're fulfilling that bad boy. And that's not what Paul said at all. Notice what Paul did say in 10.15. How shall they preach except they be sent? What's the next four words? As it is written. Notice it doesn't say fulfilling. It says what? As it is written. Paul is using Isaiah 52.7 so as a, there is a, parallel situation here that the verse can be applied to. 52.7 has a direct application to a future event called the establishment of the millennial kingdom. So you have to be careful here. He's not saying in 10.15 that Isaiah 52 is being fulfilled. Rather, he's going to use Isaiah 52 to demonstrate that Israel did have the information about the Messiah, because that's what Isaiah 52, 7 is about, and that they had the information to identify him, and they failed to. So they are guilty, but guilty of unbelief. That's what's getting them. You follow that? All right? Isaiah 52. Look at Isaiah, let's look at Isaiah 52. By the way, I got an email this past week about the Romans 10 stuff in verse 9 and so forth. And I, I don't have, I'm not aware of what everybody else is out there teaching. I don't follow guys to teach. I have enough on my plate to not have to worry about that. So if I do teach something that somebody else is teaching the opposite, that's just a coincidence. I don't follow anybody. Actually, I had like seven or 800 friends on Facebook. I have 150 now. And 150 are you guys here and family. That's it. I get it all the time. Hey, I'm going to be your friend. I go, nope, I unfriended. I got rid of a ton of people about two years ago, right when the COVID mess started and all the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. On Facebook, I'm talking about. Twitter, I dumped Twitter years ago because it, it just consumed my time. So if I say something that you say, well, yeah, so-and-so says that, that's you can go talk to them it's a coincidental thing because i don't follow the guys out there and what they're teaching and preaching until i get a question and somebody says well what about this so anyway i say that because i did get an email of hey do you know that you're you know i'm like nope <laughs> okay isaiah 52 let's look at this passage again isaiah 52 7 is a is a How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings and publish peace. That bringeth good tidings of good, that publish salvation, that saith unto Zion, notice, thy God reigneth. That is the goal of the second coming of the Messiah. What? Thy God reigneth. That's the goal. Now, the goal of the first coming was the meek and lowly, the rejection, and the cross. But here, when he comes back, 
as thy God reigneth, how does he come back? He's on a white horse. He's got the armies of God. He's plowing the field. He's got the blood up. He's got all of this. He's what? He's a king. He's a liberator. He's a deliverer. See? And I'll be honest with you, that's what the Jews were looking for. That's why they missed his first coming. What are they looking for? They're looking for a hero. And yet they say a zero. We'll see it in just a minute. So when he said, when Jesus Christ says, before Abraham was, I am, they took that as him saying he was God, and so we're going to kill him because that's blasphemy. But yet, who was he? He was God. And they missed that. There's ample information here in the book of Isaiah, we're going to stick in Isaiah, that identifies the Messiah. They should have identified, come back over to chapter 48, Isaiah 48. It's very fascinating when you just think about this. Isaiah 48, verse 3. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Now watch what God, God's dealing with Israel here. And you know what he, he's going to say? I didn't hold anything back from you. I told you everything about your program, about you. Verse 4, Because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is as an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. Thou art what? Obstinate. You're, hard. you're, you're going to be a people of unbelief. You're going to be a gainsaying people. Now, did he foretell that to them? He sure did. Deuteronomy 30, 31, 32, Moses lays it out. Jacob at the end there, before Jacob passes, he takes his 12 boys and he gives them their history and there's nothing good in it. They, by the way, when he says there, I have declared the former things from the beginning, the question to ask is the beginning of what? Well, who's he talking to? Israel. So it's their beginning. The beginning of them. Where did they begin? Abraham. Isaac, Jacob. What did we learn in Romans 9 about Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob? A remnant mentality, a remnant element is how God's dealing with this. Then you get to Jacob, and you get to 12 boys, and then you get them being delivered out. So the nation is born, Moses. What did he, what did he tell them through Moses? There's going to be five courses of judgment, because you're not going to do what I ask you to do. So when that happens, this is going to happen. This is, and he just, he has told their history to them. Why? Because I knew that thou art obstinate, uh, hard, and they, thy neck is as iron sinew and thy brow brass. I have even from the beginning declared it to thee before it came to pass. I showed it thee. Thou hast Lest thou shouldest say, Mine idol hath done them, and my graven image and my molten image hath commanded them. Thou hast heard, see all this, and will not yet declare it. I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things. Thou didst not know them. You know what he's doing there? He's like, guys, I didn't hold anything back from you. I've given you, I've told you all. I didn't keep a piece of this hidden. I didn't keep a secret from you. I showed you every point in your program. 
what was going to happen. He'll say, as in the days of thy youth, so will it be over here in the kingdom. You go back and you read about their youth. What's he doing in the Old Testament? He's painting a picture, a dress rehearsal of that future day. He goes, I didn't hold any of it back. I laid it all out there for you. Verse 16. Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that I, it was. There am I, and now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way, that thou shouldest go. Who Jehovah's there. You see, what's going on here, I've told you everything. I haven't, hit, I haven't held anything back. I've revealed it all. I told you your future. I laid it out for you. Hey, could you imagine if God had laid out your future and then told you, and then you look at him and say, ain't going to happen, and go off and do something else, and then have the audacity to look at him and say, you didn't tell me? Because that's exactly what they're doing. And Paul's calling them on the carpet with them. And Paul's reminding them, hey, look, as it is written, who? why didn't he tell us? Why didn't we have it? And Paul says, you did have it, and he did send people to tell you. He didn't keep anything back from you. There's not a part of their program was a secret. Moses says, the secret things belong to the Lord, and the revealed things belong to who? You, Israel. And I know what happens. Us dispensational, rightly divider guys say, wait a minute, he did keep a secret, but he didn't keep it from Israel. In Israel's program, what did he keep secret? The heavenly program. He didn't keep the earthly program secret. He made that known. He, didn't, he kept the heavenly program secret. Two different things. The goal of prophecy has been on the pages of Scripture since the very beginning. Daniel 2, 44 and 45, the goal there is to the kingdom of God come and be and rest and sit here. That's why I told you in Genesis there, in Genesis 2, when he rests, the next week, he, the next Sabbath day, he's bringing his kingdom here. Why? That's the whole goal. Now, in the midst of that week, probably Thursday, Satan fell. I mean, Adam and Eve fell. Satan got them. So then he's done what? He didn't come. Now we go do something else. Come over to chapter 45 of Isaiah. The point here, folks, is when Paul says, as it is written, and then quotes Isaiah, he's leaning on Isaiah to demonstrate to Israel there's been no secret kept from you. Look at Isaiah 45. Look at verse 19. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. He's communicating to them. So guess what? They have no right to say otherwise, do they? They've got the word. They're to write it. They're to keep it. It's in front of them. And yet, what did they say? We didn't get the word. Where's the word? Where's it at? And he goes, I gave it to you. And then I sent people to give it to you. Come over to chapter 8 of Isaiah. And this is where... The th 
We need another four hours to run this stuff down, but I'm going to hopefully give it to you in about four minutes. Look at Isaiah 8, because he's making an allurement here. And Paul, again, Paul, Paul doesn't pull stuff out of thin air. He's sitting in the synagogue with the scriptures right in front of him, showing them. Here's Isaiah. Look at what Isaiah says. Isaiah 8, look at verse 14. And he shall be a sanctuary. Verse 13, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For the believing remnant, that little flock, what is he? He's a sanctuary. But for the rest of them, what is he? He's a rock of offense. He's a stone of stumbling. So right there in Isaiah, what does God reveal? There are two houses in Israel, the believing house and the unbelieving house. There's two classes of people in Israel, the believing remnant and the apostate nation. The foolish nation Paul's going to call them here in Romans 10 in a minute, quoting Deuteronomy, Moses. And then that fallen nation. See? Right here, we're in Isaiah. We're 742 years before Christ, according to Usher's little date. That's a few years ahead of time, isn't it? And who's he talking about? He's talking about the Messiah. Verse 15. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my who? Isn't that interesting? He's got disciples. The, the, Jehovah has disciples. By the way, he looks at them, and many among them shall what? Stumble and what? Fall. Now that's not a prediction of Paul on the road to Damascus, that is a prediction, though, of the events of Acts 7, with the stoning of Stephen. What happened at Stephen? They fell. Boom. And be broken and be snared and be taken. They're off into satanic captivity. They're off under Baal worship. Verse 17, and I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Who are we looking for? Jehovah, Messiah. Where is he? He's coming. Verse 18, Behold, I, Messiah, and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And man, verse 18, reaches up, Paul uses it to smack them right across the face, if you will, figuratively, of, you know what? God uses, Jehovah is using children to communicate the truth. And the children, look at verse 18 carefully. Behold, I and the children, I, Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that now looking back, the earthly ministry of Christ, and who? The children, my disciples. Look, notice how Paul is using Isaiah to answer the questions of, we didn't have a preacher. We didn't have anyone sent to us. We didn't get the message. Deuteronomy says different. You had it. And guess what? Isaiah is saying you did have people come. They're sent for, look at verse 18, for what? Signs and wonders where? 
in Israel. These guys are showing up and they are proclaiming who the Messiah is. There he is, right? Think about John the Baptist. The one I've been telling you about, guys, there he is. John 3, the baptism of Christ. There he, John 1, there he is. The guy I've been telling you, make straight, here he comes. There he is. And they look over him and go, John, are you feeling okay? Because he don't look like Superman. He just looks like an ordinary Jewish gentleman there. He doesn't look like something spectacular. Where's this white horse? He's on a donkey? Not even mama. He's on the baby. What in the world's going on here? You see, they're looking for someone else. My disciples, the children that were given to me. So he's predicting the little flock, the believing remnant. That remnant of people that God has already established, that that's how he was going to work and deal with, and Israel has rejected that. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. You look around the church, the body of Christ, and you know what they want? They want the big show and go. They don't want the little thing. And where's God working? He's not working in the... I mean, you think about our assembly here when we're all together. We are a big... we're, We're a large grace church. When you think about grace churches at, at a whole. And you go, man, we're, and we're less than 100. We sit in the 70 mark, 80 mark. And what happens? Well, uh, you know, how you do that? Well, we're looking for the megachurch mentality. That's the problem here. The reason that they failed to believe, the reason that they rejected the claims of the Lord as their Messiah, is that they failed to recognize and understand that God's working through a believing remnant to deal with that apostate nation. And Israel's problem, again, is not, is not recognizing how God was dealing with Israel. He's using who? 18, children. He's using a foolish nation. Paul's going to quote again here. He's going to quote Romans. I'm, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy. He's using something else. He's not operating the way Israel would anticipate him to operate. Think about the children thing. Come over with me to John. Um, John 13. Just see this because what happens again is these passages get used. Stick something in Isaiah. But these passages get used to say that this stuff is you and I today. And it's not. It has nothing to do with you and I today. It has everything to do with who Paul's dealing with. John 13, look at verse 33. Jesus is talking to them. They're going into the, he's just washed their feet. They're moving up. He tells them about his betrayal. They're moving in, they're in the upper room. They're, 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 they're moving into that shutdown meeting of, of chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, where the 12 are there. That's who's there. 13:33. Little children. Yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, and I have loved as I have loved you, and that ye also love one another, and off you go. Notice that little children. That isn't you and I. 
That's the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles there, because that's the audience he's speaking to. Starts back up in verse 1. You go look at Luke 22, 14. Who's there? Just the 12. They're there. So when he talks here about little children, and he talks about children, look at verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my, what? Disciples, if ye have loved one another. How do... Little children, my disciples, go back to Isaiah 18, they're connected. They're connected here. And what Paul, again, what Paul's doing here is he's, as it is written, look at what Isaiah said. He doesn't go all over, he looks at what Isaiah, and what did Isaiah 8, 18 say? My little children out there, what are they doing? They're speaking about me, the Messiah. Paul says, Israel's problem, Romans 10, isn't that they didn't have anybody sent to them, because they did. They had the prophets. They had John the Baptist. They had the earthly ministry of Christ. They had the Acts ministry of the little flock. And what did they do to those guys? They rejected them. They denied them. They kill them. And now Paul's standing in front of them, demonstrating that the very Christ that they talked to, that they were talking, he is the Messiah. And now you're rejecting me, the guy who's promoting the new program that's holding back the wrath and all the stuff. And you're, you have no footing, Israel, to say we didn't know. You have no footing, no groundwork to say God didn't tell us because God did, does tell them. Israel's problem is that they just didn't like the way God was going about telling them. Follow that? He, foolish nation, um, little children, childlike faith. That's what he's after. That foolish nation, that little flock, that believing element, their whole goal, by the way, was to preach a message about the Messiah. And there he was. Who he was, what he was doing. And Israel, again, they had no idea of what the Messiah was. Are, are you back in, in Isaiah? Look back. Look over at, at Isaiah. Oh, it's fifty-three. Look at Isaiah fifty-three. They just didn't, you you know what Israel said about the Lord? He's that carpenter. He's that son of the carpenter. Isn't Mary, isn't that, isn't he born of fornication? They accuse him in John. We know who our father is. You're that thing of fornication. You don't know who your father is. Not, hey, great, wonderful, you're here, you're the Messiah. Woohoo, we're ready. No, just completely the opposite. They wouldn't listen to that believing remnant. They wouldn't listen to that foolish nation. Look over at Isaiah 53 and look at verse number. Well, shoot. Hold, hold on, man, just the time. We've got five minutes. And I really wanted to get done. 
hold on to Isaiah. You got Isaiah 53? Run back to Romans 10. Just stick something there and let's kind of kill some verses here real quick. Romans 10. So in verse 14 and 15, the questions are those of a gainsayer. God should have done better job communicating to us. How can, we, how can he accuse us of not when he didn't? And yet Paul says, wait a minute, he did. He just didn't, he did it in a manner that you didn't recognize. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah saith, Lord, who, shall, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So again, verse 17 is that indictment. That's a negative thing. Don't accuse God for not sending someone when he did. You're just looking in the wrong place. That's why he quotes Isaiah 53. Now go to Isaiah 53 and look at verse 1. Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Notice how Paul uses that. What's the prophet say? Who's going to believe us? What's that little flock say? No, they're not believing us. Verse 2, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Think about a dry ground. What's on dry ground? No life, no water. You turn the spigot off and what happens to the ground? It cracks open. And yet out of that no life nation, nation of no, no life going on, what's going to pop up? A tender plant. The Messiah, the believing remnant. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, so they are going to see him, he shall be as Superman and the Hulk and Batman. No, he says what? And he shall, there is no beauty that we should, what? Desire him. You see, what Paul's doing here, go back to Romans 10, is he's like, look, guys, God did give you the information, 1 to 13. Chapter, Romans 10, 1 to 13. 14 to 21, he did send people to tell you. You just didn't like what you saw. And when he himself showed up, he had no form, no comeliness. He, was, he wasn't what they depict or how they depict on the paintings in the Sistine Chapel. He didn't have a glow about him. He didn't have long flowing blonde hair with a halo. He didn't have that. He just showed up as Song of Solomon says, his hair was black as a raven. He just showed up looking like a normal Jew. And you know what? Because he didn't match their preconceived idea of what their Messiah was to look like, which by the way, they understand what he's going to look like in his second coming. Because the Old Testament's full of what he's going to look like. That king coming back. Paul says, you missed him. Because you didn't approach it the way he said in his word he was coming. The reason that Israel didn't believe that the Lord was the Messiah was because of the end of 53.2. He had no form and no comely. He had no beauty. They're looking for a king. 
with a big crown on his head and flowing garments and a big army behind him, taking vengeance and delivering them and doing, and he shows up as just a born of a Mary, fornicator maybe. We don't know yet. We have the, you know, DNA samples are still out. He's a carpenter over there, lived an ordinary life, and yet now he's what? Saying that he is God. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. So go back to Romans 10 and let's finish this up. Again, verse 16, he's using Isaiah again to lead Israel to understand that no, why they weren't believing. And that's because they didn't have a clear idea about the identity of the Messiah, even though they had the information. So he rebukes them, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The, by the way, that thing about children, faith-like, simple faith of children. Have you ever noticed children tend to believe anything and everything? That's why you always are guarding against for them. That's what he's, not that they're to believe anything, but they're to have that, that simplicity of believing the word of God. They didn't have that. So verse 18, what I say, have they not heard? Yes, they did. Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. You know what? The, everybody heard. Rahab heard. And oh, down in old Jericho, 40-something years later, 30-something years, she heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jonah, Nineveh, they heard. Every, have they heard? Yeah, the whole world's heard. Why? Because of you go through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and notice how many times he turns and talks to the nations, to the Gentiles. Oh ye, isles of the Gentiles, hearken. He's constantly communicating to them. And yet Israel sits there and goes, we didn't know. God foretold, verse 18, and their words unto the ends of the world, but I say, did not Israel know? And the question is, know what? Well, first Moses saith, and he quotes Deuteronomy 32, 21, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Man, you know what they didn't know? Did they have the word about the Messiah coming and everything? Yeah. God didn't hold a secret. He didn't keep it back. He revealed it all to them, their program. But you know what they didn't like? How he was going to deliver it to them. Using that believing remnant. Using that little flock. Using that foolish nation. And the foolish nation thing, what did they say to the Lord when he taught? Who taught you? What'd they do to Peter? You didn't go to our school. You're, you're ignorant and unlearned. Where's your pedigree? Where's your degree? They look at Stephen. The only reason why Stephen's on the hot seats for the miracles he, he had just did prior to that, and him and Philip, and what did they say? Where did you get your degree? You didn't go to our seminary. You didn't go to our teaching. They, you know what, they accuse Paul the same thing. That's why Paul, he looks around there and later in Acts and he says, listen, you guys know who I am. You know I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. You know I'm a Pharisee, a Hebrew. You know this about me. 
You know my past. And I'm here telling you something new. Why didn't they believe? They, they didn't believe it, not because they didn't have the word, the information. They didn't believe it because of who was delivering the word to them. They didn't like to look over and see that commercial fisherman, Peter, telling them what was what. They didn't like it at all. Now, they couldn't deny what he was doing. I, you, I read Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and watch Peter's interaction with the Sanhedrin, the leaders of it, and they hated his guts. You know why? Because he didn't have eloquence of speech. He's in there telling them what it was. Verse 20. But Isaiah is very bold and saith. So now he's going to quote Isaiah 65. I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. And he goes to Isaiah 65. If you look over there just real quick. Isaiah 65 in verse number 1. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. And he's talking about the believing remnant. He looks at the Pharisees and he says, I'm taking the nation from you and I'm giving it to a nation that's bringing forth the fruits of righteousness. I'm taking it from here and I'm bringing it here. That's what Paul's saying. You know why you were in unbelief? Romans 10, 20. It's because you didn't look in the right place. You thought he was going to walk down over there and be sitting up there at the holy temple and all that stuff, and he's down here in a group of people that really, they're looking for him. Anna and Simon and all those guys are looking for him in the temple. They, and down there, they know he's coming. They're ready for him. They believe him. Philip, Nathaniel, John 1, hey, we have found the Messiah. There he is. They're looking for him. Verse 21, but to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying being. You know what Paul's saying there in 20 and 21? Israel, you were looking in the wrong place for your Messiah to come. And it's because of your unbelief. And guess what? Today in the age of grace, you're still looking in the wrong place. You're still looking over there in that vain religious system of yours that God has set aside. That law program has been destroyed. Romans 7, we've been there. It's over. It's been dead. It's, he's deemed it dead. He's answered every. He's blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He nailed it to his cross. And you're still in that system. And you know what you need to do? You need to get out of that system. That's what in Romans 10, the saving here. And every case is getting out of that untoward generation, getting out of that apostate nation, and getting over here into the body of Christ. That's what he's talking about. How do you do that? Romans 1 to 5 answers that question. So just as Israel rejected John the Baptist, the earthly ministry of Christ, the 12, the little flock in their Acts period, now in Acts 9 to 28, what's Israel doing to Paul and the new ministry? Rejecting it 
reject. You know why? Because they don't like the way and who God's using to give them the information. Because he just took their cream of the crop, their star quarterback, and converted him. And now he's over here, instead of persecuting the churches, now he's He's doing something else and something about not following the law and Moses. And oh my goodness, what, we got to get him, kill him quick. And they reject it. So what are they doing today? Same thing. You go talk to a Jewish people and what are they? They are entrenched in what they believe. And you say, God's not doing that. And you know who the heretic becomes? You do. Who's the anti-Semitic? You are. And in reality, no. Because what's Paul's heart's desire is the same heart's desire of all of us, and that is to see them get saved. Get out of that sinful condition they're in and come over here and get into who they are in the church, the body of Christ. You follow that? Now, chapter 11 is going to take us into their future. Because just as Israel would think, well, if God's done with us, then he's done with us. Because you know why? He's doing this church, the body of Christ, and so they're going to get what we're going to get, and Paul's going to say, no, 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 not so fast. Just because God interrupted your program doesn't mean he's not going to finish it. Now, in doing that, he tells you dumb thump Gentiles who think you are spiritual Israel, you're not spiritual Israel. You're in something completely different. You're called the body of Christ. And what you have is something that you're going to get over there while Israel is getting her program over here. And he's going to, well, verse 1, I say then, have God cast away his people? That's the question. Dumb thump Gentiles, you know what we say? Yeah, he has. He's getting us. You know what Paul's going to say? Knock it off. You need to go study a little more because he ain't doing that. Okay, so chapter 11, we'll get into their future. All right? All right, we went speedily through that. I gained back the seven or eight minutes I gave back to you in the beginning talking about the orange tie, okay? All right, Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son, and we thank you for everything that we have in you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we'll